Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Tears Week rolls on, this time with two of the deepest positions in the game, second base and shortstop. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, January 19th. I am Frank Stample, joined as always by Scotty Dub, Scott White, and Chrissy Poo. I don't know if you like that name, Chris, but I just gave it to you. So it's fine. Chris I don't really Towers. Uh, it's fine. We used to call you CP3, but eh, I don't know. I feel like Chrissy Poo works better. I just it's not uh, it's not a thing that would really ever bother me either way. You know, like like I've still got family members that call me by my like childhood nickname, and it's r- ridiculous, but it's still like what is yeah, it? That's what they know me as, Kiki. Like my Kike. sister couldn't say Chris. She was a year older than me. <laughs> She couldn't say Chris, so she called me Kiki, and that's that's everybody calls me Kiki. Stuck. I I I I'm a Scott Junior, and uh, I grew up as Scotty, but that's you know something people are inclined to call me still. My my wife's whole family pretty much calls me Scotty, and I, I didn't introduce myself as such. I have a, a close friend from I've known him since middle school, and through middle school, high school, and college, he was always Danny. And every time he meets someone new, he's like, I'm Dan or I'm Daniel, not Danny. <laughs> and we've been playing uh, video games every Sunday with him and a group of people that he kind of knows. And I call him Danny like six times per like session. And I, I always like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But it's just like, it's so hard to kick, you know, like, and I yeah. get it. You don't, you know, Danny, like this little boy's name, oh, Danny. But it's yeah. just like, I don't know Dan. Who is Dan? There are a lot of grown-ups, grown men, famous famous Dannys, particularly in the athletic sphere. So I, I don't I don't know that he needs to be uh, Danny. But that's what he wants. So I just want to no, sure, sure, go sure, by sure. his wishes. No, and I'm just I, of, uh, of course, of course. I'm a bad friend. I, I will say, Frank, what what made like I I think you're I think you're fine sticking with Chrissy Poo as long as you do it in your most broadcastery voice, <laughs> like you did at the top of the show. Chrissy Poo, Chrissy Poo. <laughs> Yeah. Now oh, we've got man. Chrissy Poo. Two takeaways here, Scott. I did not know that you were Scott Jr. I am a Frank Jr., so we share that in common. That's uh, good to know. And, Frank uh, Jr. Jr. That's correct. And Chris, I have a very similar style story, I guess. Growing up, I was I was Frankie, and now I'm Frank. Like, whenever, you know, once I, I don't know what it was. I guess it was high school or college. I was, nope, no more Frankie. I'm a grown man. I am Frank I now. the opposite so, move. I went thing. away from the the standard name and towards the 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 nickname i don't want i don't want to be a christopher could you imagine so you me going by christopher? christopher yeah i mean yeah i was always a christopher like that in my school like my teachers oh, that, would always refer to me as christopher that's interesting i didn't know many christophers oh, i mean they were all man. christophers but they all went by chris yeah no, i could never be a christopher like nobody would nobody would everybody would be like okay christopher yeah no don't no don't do that we're gonna go with chris or chrissy poo or cp3 something like that anyway those are three minutes that you can't get back we're gonna talk about tears <laughs> second base and shortstop tears today on the podcast and i mentioned it's a much different pace than first base and third base which we spoke about on our previous podcast uh first base not really a lot of talent up top pretty deep position third base not deep at all. Actually, not a great position at all. And let's start the same way that we did the other day and with a little bit of word association. So we're going to start with second base and we are going to go to hmm, Scott Jr. White. Mm. When I say second base, you think? Blank. Oddball is usually the, 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 the word I associate with second base. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way you introduced it, 
along with shortstop at the top of the show, two of the deepest positions. That's true, and that's a big turnaround for me just a year ago for second base. So um, I, I feel like there should be some word. Like, I can't think of a single word <laughs> turnaround uh, except, you know, when was it deep? So I don't, I'm not sure what it's turning, you know, turnaround is getting back to something you were, whatever. You, you get what I'm saying. All right. Maybe Chris has a better word. So we'll go with oddball or turnaround. Chris, the first word you think of, go. Second base. I'm trying to think of like the word that Scott was thinking of, and I, I got derailed because of that. Uh, we're not um, good at word association. <laughs> uh, like bad. There's like a word for like surprisingly good, but I can't think of it. How about surprise? Something like that? No? Better than you think. All right. Those are a lot of words. Word. But... Those are hyphen. <laughs> uh, so let's jump into second base. Uh, we've got quite a few words there. The elite tier. It includes just one player, and that is Trey Turner, who has an ADP of 2. 2.0. And he has second base and shortstop eligibility. And Scott, I believe that he should be a top three pick in Roto. I, I think some people will make the argument he should be the first overall pick. Maybe he's a little bit safer than Fernando Tatis. Uh, nonetheless, uh, he is a top three pick in that format. Does he, I don't know, maybe slide down just a tad in a points league? What do you think? Yeah, I actually have him as a mid-first rounder in both, so I, I don't have him as a top three pick in, road, in Roto. Ooh, even though, yeah, you're, you're right. I've seen him go. I, I've seen him be the first player selected in, in, in some early Roto drafts, I think, because of uncertainty around a few players who would normally go ahead of them. Uh, Fernando Tatis being the obvious, and I, I do rank Tatis ahead, but of course Ronald Acuna and his recovery from a torn ACL and the possibility he's not ready for opening day pushes him behind Trey Turner as well. You know, at this point, uh, maybe like a full round behind him until we know more, until we have a clearer timetable. Uh, so Trey Turner is kind of the cowards, <laughs> the cowards number one overall pick, I guess. Uh, because, you know, he's going to give you a big steals total. Not not as big as in his heyday, where if he would just stay healthy, you know, we kept saying, oh, look, he would be on pace for 60 steals, 70 steals. Well, he's not going to give you 60 or 70 steals, it's pretty clear. Probably won't even give you 40 steals, but a pretty good bet for 30. And meanwhile, he's gotten that power production up to where you could hope for like 25 home runs from him. Very reliable source of batting average. And now he's dual eligible up the middle. Uh, he's going to be playing shortstop for the Dodgers now that Corey Seager's gone, but he retains that second base eligibility that he earned last year. And that's part of the reason. He is part of the reason why second base looks so much stronger now because it's been a few years since we've seen a legit first-round second baseman in fantasy. Trey Turner, one of six hitters to go 25-25 last season. That's 25 homers, 25 steals. And you are going to hear that a lot today. He hit 328, 28 homers, and 32 steals overall. The number three player in Roto last season. I mentioned he falls maybe a tad in a points league. Still really good in that format. 3.7 fantasy points per game. And if you want consistency, he hit over 300 each month of the season last year. So didn't really ever have a down moment. He was he was just really good all throughout. Chris, do you have anything interesting to say about Trey Turner, or should we just move on to the next year? No, I just I do wonder if we might not be underselling him just a little bit in points if he falls out of the first round, especially, because I think he probably deserves to be a first rounder in that format. Um, Definitely. I agree with you. If you're especially if you're buying the, you know, kind of second breakout that he's had over the last year and a half. I mean, two seasons, but you know, 210 games or so. Um, Cause he's hitting 330 with a 931 OPS since the start of 2020. Now he, what holds him back in points a little bit is just, he doesn't walk all that much. Uh, 49 walks per 162 games in that stretch. But yeah, I mean, if he's really a 110 run 30 Homer, 80 RBI, 30 steel guy, that's a first rounder, even in points league. And I think he can get a little bit overlooked in that format. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. So I have the, I think there's like a consensus top three or four hitters that I have in a points league. Soto, Tatis, Vlad, Jose Ramirez. Then it's the top two or three starting pitchers for me, however you want to rank it. And then I have Trout, Harper, and Trey Turner. But I think 
Turner is very firmly in that next mix of hit, uh, of hitters with Trout and with Bryce Harper in a points league this upcoming season. The near elite tier, this spans rounds two through seven. So quite a big range here, which includes Ozzie Albies with an ADP of 21.7, and then uh, Marcus Semien, Jose Altuve, Whip Merrifield, Brandon Lau, Cattell Marte, and Javier Baez. Cattell Marte is actually the one who rounds out the tier in terms of where he's being drafted. 82nd overall, according to ADP right now. Whit Merrifield and Javier Baez are each one tier lower in a points league. Scott, when a tier is this big and it spans this many rounds, is it safe to say that you won't have players who are ranked higher in the tier? So someone like an Ozzie Albies or Marcus Simeon who is being drafted in the second or third round right now in ADP, if you're expecting somewhat similar production from all of these players, then it's I feel like it's safe to say that you'll just wait on someone else later in the tier. Yeah, I mean that's that's the idea. Yeah, that's that's what the tiers are are, are trying to signal to you uh, to do, and I, I kind of like when there's a big tier like that. I, I I want to give myself permission to wait at a position because it it creates opportunities at other positions, right? And this was a tier I struggled with. I, I think along across the infield, this is the single tier that I struggled with the most because you have a few dual-eligible guys there uh, with Merrifield, Marcus Simeon, Cattell Marte, Javier Baez. So you have, to, you have to look at where they're tiered at those other positions and, and make it all match up, you know, or at least I try to. And then in, in the case of Whit Merrifield and Javier Baez, I don't have them in this tier in points league. I have them a tier lower. So it's not quite as big if you're talking about a points league as opposed to a categories league where, of course, Merrifield's going to give you a ton of steals. Baez will give you some too. Uh, and, and, and his horrible plate discipline won't hurt you in that format the way it will in a points league. It's complicated. It's a little bit complicated. And, you know, Brandon Lau, Cattell Marte, I thought they were kind of borderline tiering them here as opposed to with uh, like Jorge Polanco we're going to see in the next tier. But, you know, I when, when it gets right down to it, I think those two are closer to Jose Altuve than to Jorge Polanco in terms of what I expect from them. And Jose Altuve, I didn't feel like I could tier with Jorge Polanco, right? So he kind of he kind of dragged those other two with him in this tier. So yeah, ultimately I'm glad it's a big tier. Like I said, because that makes drafting easier. And by the way, I tried to keep that in mind as I was putting together all of these tiers. And in the past, I would have a super elite tier at some positions above the elite tier. And I managed to avoid that this year. I think partly, uh, partly just the the player pool allowed for that. But, you know, in years past, I may have had, like, Trey Turner as the super elite at second base and then had, like, Ozzy Albies, Marcus Simeon, Jose Altuve as the elite. And then the near elite would be a smaller tier. But I, I, I think that ends up being a less... That, that makes tiers less helpful when you just have a bunch of three-player tiers like that. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. And I'm happy you brought up Brandon Lau and Cattell Marte because I wanted to ask you about them, Chris, and it feels like they're kind of the forgotten names in this tier, at least in the drafts, the few drafts that I've done thus far. I mean, they, they go later than mm-hmm. anybody else within the tier. Brandon Lau is especially interesting because last year he had an ADP of 70.2, and he finished as the 33rd overall player in Roto. Mind you, I know there was a lot of ups and downs, but the end-of-season numbers... They were there for Brandon Lau. 247 batting average, 39 homers, 97 runs, 99 RBI, 7 steals. And this year, his ADP has actually dropped a little bit. So he's going five picks later than he was last year. He finishes a top 40 overall player. Uh, Cattell Marte, uh, you know, I think it's a matter of him staying healthy. I think we kind of know who he is at this point. So you know I love him. Yeah, and you should. I think Cattell Marte is a great value, but let's just start with Brandon Lau. It, It feels weird that he was as good as he was, yet he's going a little bit later than where he was last season. I mean, I think the answer is kind of simple. Well, there's two answers, and I think they're both fairly simple. One is he just he seems like a volatile player, based on what we've seen so far, and it's it's hard to shake that. It's hard to shake inconsistency. Uh, and two, this is a reminder 
that if you if any players are listening, if any baseball players are listening, I've got a tip for you. If you want your fantasy value to uh, be helped in the following season, don't have your worst months at the beginning of the season. Have your like if you have two great months to start the season and then two bad ones and then you're just you're a normal version of yourself the next two, we're gonna love you. But when a player gets off to a really bad start the way Brandon Lau did, you know, sub seven hundred OPS each of the first two months, that's really hard to shake just psychologically. Like that's the part that we're paying the most attention to. That's the part that sets your your you know your perception of the season. And so um the fact that he was so bad early on, I think, does cloud that for people a little bit. But, I mean, he started, what, 134 games and hit 39 home runs? I mean, that's 39, astounding. Yeah, 39 home runs is an all-time season for a second base. Yeah, and, and the thing is, he was consistent with the power, at least. I mean, he had nine home runs through those first two months. That's not a 40-homer pace, but it's not no. terrible. It's a 30-homer pace, and so... And 99 RBI, 97 runs scored. Yeah, I, I it's think... Not like, it's not like... You know, he was pretty close to an everyday player, but I think people have it in their minds, okay, Tampa Bay is going to mess with his playing time. There, I think there are, um, there are certain players who you are better served never watching them play and like <laughs> trying to not pay attention to what they're doing over the course of a season. Just like... Uh, who was I thinking of? There was a pitcher who just, uh, oh, Dylan Cease. Like, just never watch Dylan Cease pitch if he's on your team. Because it's infuriating, you'll hate him. Um, and you can't analyze him. Because he's so inconsistent. He goes through these first innings where he throws 45 pitches. And Brandon Lau is kind of the same way, where he just goes through these stretches where he looks overmatched. And you just kind of have to ride it. Like, it's a long season, you know? And you're not going to be able to tell... Oh, he's getting hot now or he's cold now. Like that's that's not how it works. You got to just with a player like this, unless you don't believe in the skill set at all, uh, you just kind of have to ride it. But we've got 287 games over the pa- over the past three seasons with you know a 39 homer pace over 162 games. Even if you don't think he's going to play 162 games, like last season wasn't out of nowhere. Javier Baez was, is within this tier. We're not going to talk about Javier Baez again. Like I mentioned on our previous podcast, we're not going to spend time on every single player because we're, yeah. you know, we're going to save that for our position previews. But, but another it, player you should not watch. Yes, <laughs> you. I mean, I'm not going to say that. Well. Defense and run the bases. <laughs> well, he's a pretty fun player to watch, Chris. But yeah, he he could be frustrating with the strikeouts at times. Chris wrote about him on the site in his Bust 1.0. So if you want to read more about Javier Baez, you can do exactly that. CBSSports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. The next best things tier we have just two players. Jorge Polanco with an ADP of 84.7 and Jonathan India with an ADP of 95. And Scott, only two players here, but I think two pretty interesting players because, and we spoke about Polanco a little bit already. We we did a podcast, you know, can the 2021 breakouts do it again? Took this massive step forward, specifically in the power department, but, you know, he ran a little bit as well. And then Jonathan India was great, even though he really did not put up big numbers in the minors. So... I think this is a pretty interesting tier to just try and figure out where am I at on these players. Yeah, it's 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 two players that I tend to believe in. Uh, as we talked about on that that podcast you mentioned before, Frank, I, I don't think I, I don't believe in Polanco to the extent that I see him hitting thirty three home runs again. But between twenty five and thirty, yeah. I, I think you'll be very happy with him as your starter at second base. And Jonathan India, uh, you know, he actually was hitting 230 at the end of May. So, you know, you you compare that to his last four months when he had an 882 OPS, basically did all his power production, then had a combined 50 doubles and home runs from June 1st to the end of the season and showed terrific plate discipline which was consistent in the minors where by the way he didn't play all that much he I, he got like two seasons down there and they were kind of injury plagued and um i i thought people were writing him off as a prospect too quickly considering he was a fifth overall pick i, I kept him in my top 100 all that time so yay for me um but yeah i i i would be happy with either of these guys as my second baseman i find in the little bit I've drafted so far that it never comes to that because uh, there's so many great values in that near elite tier. You know, Jose Altuve 
and Brandon Lau, Cattell Marte are going so much later than Ozzy Albies that it's very, it, you know, I, I don't have to push myself to, uh, to wind up with a near elite second baseman. Um, but I have gotten like Jorge Polanco as my middle infielder before in a roto league. And that feels great because that, you know, then that, that makes it probably going to have one of the best middle infielders in the league in that case. Yeah, for sure. Chris, how are you feeling about these two? Who would you rather have Jorge Polanco or Jonathan India? They're going about 10 picks apart right now. Uh, I think I would probably just default to the younger guy. Um, just cause we have seen Polanco, you know, he was pretty miserable in 2020. Um, and we've just we've seen like mediocrity from him before, whereas India is at least you know an up and comer. I will say, if you look at his spray chart, I mean he just didn't hit it to the opposite field. Uh, he had looks like about six doubles hit the opposite way and three home runs. Everything else, uh, most of his singles, most of his doubles, most of his home runs are hit to the left field side, and. That's, that John, does cons- that's India you're talking about? Yes. Okay. And that does concern me just a little bit because teams are getting more aggressive about shifting right-handed batters, and I wonder if they just weren't doing it against him last season because they don't have the scouting reports out or, you know, they're it's early in his career, so they don't want to, you know, make these big defensive shifts, but the way he was beating them last year, I do wonder if we might start seeing three guys on the left side of the infield against Jonathan India a little more and... That just does make me a little nervous. Just anytime someone's like one dimensional in that way, if the opponents can figure out how to stop that one dimension, it, it can, it can hurt. Uh, you know, it, I'm not sure what, like, it's like the kind of, you have to adjust to the adjustment. And so I think defenses and pitchers are going to adjust to him this season. And now I don't know what it looks like when he adjusts. So that, that's the one concern for me, the one uh, red flag. All right, looking at it now, he has a 50.8% pull rate. Jonathan India did last season. That was sixth most among qualified hitters. So, yeah, it's definitely high, higher than uh, league average, um, but also helps playing in Cincinnati, especially when yeah. he puts the ball in the mm-hmm. air. It's a really good ballpark to hit there. He probably wouldn't hit for much power if he didn't pull it to that extreme. Like, I, I feel like his profile kind of depends on him pulling it that much. Not, yeah. Not to... You know, Chris is. I'm not arguing Chris's point that shifting more against him could could hurt, but it's so. I, 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 I guess don't, the, I, he's he's not a player that you don't really. He's not really a player that you want to see pull it less than he is because he doesn't hit it particularly hard. Right. That, that that's always for me. It's what's the margin for error for that kind of player? Yeah. Like yeah. anytime you have to like be extreme, in a way. What happens if you're like 70th percentile instead of 90th percentile? You know. Yeah, and as much That's as India, as much as India pulls the ball, Jorge Polanco even more, 52.7 percent. That was third yeah. most among qualified hitters. And I've speculated that I think part of why we saw this big power output from Jorge Polanco last year was that he pulled the ball as much as he did. I mean, he was below 40%, a 40% pull rate the previous three seasons, and all of a sudden he's up over 50%. So I think that actually helped with the power. I, I would expect a little bit of regression in that department. Um, you know, maybe he's yeah. more of like a mid-20s homework kind of guy, but I think that's part of the explanation for why he was able to hit as many home runs as he did. His spray chart season. is His spray chart is very funny because it's just like, just a line of doubles all the way down the left field line and then a line of doubles all the way down the right field line and then it's just singles in the middle yeah he is a switch hitter correct yeah so that would yes. that would make sense yeah he's no matter where what side he's hitting from he he is pulling that ball let's move on to the fallback options at second base that includes max muncie jake cronenworth jazz chisholm tommy edmund chris taylor brendan rogers and Ty France with Jazz Chisholm and Tommy Edmond, a tier lower in points leagues. Obviously, both of those guys can provide quite a bit of steal. So if you're playing in roto or head-to-head categories, uh, definitely keep those two names in mind. And Chris, I'm going to come to you here first because I was reading through your bus article and you have Jazz Chisholm on that list. A current ADP of 91, which you know some people, you know, for people who are just jumping back into fantasy baseball, they're, they're probably going to be surprised to hear that Jazz Chisholm is going inside of the top 100 picks. But I think it just goes back to the hype of the power and speed around him. 18 homers, 23 steals in 124 games. You know, that's that tells me, you know, he has 20 homer, maybe 30 steal potential. 
over the course of a full season. It's just, can he put that together? It's, it's a big price to pay. Well, you remember what I said about Brandon Lau. Jazz Chisholm's kind of the opposite. He had this incredible April. Uh, 969 OPS, hit 311. His highest OPS the rest of the season in a month was 705. And he dealt with some injuries. Maybe that was a part of it. But I think it was also just, you know, his approach kind of catching up to him. He's more of a... Uh, what's the right way to put it? More of a tools than a skills guy, maybe, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. he's he's got the the physical ability to be an incredible player, but he's still ironing out the, the, the actual skills and p- figuring out how to put them into use consistently. And, yep. look, I mean, anyone who can hit 20 homers and, and steal 25 bases, they're going to be interesting for fantasy. But, you know, the plate discipline's still an issue. There's still the question of, um, you know, can he hit lefties is still a question. So he's an incredibly exciting player. He's one of my favorite players in baseball right now, but at his price, there's just a ton of risk. Yeah, uh, I think that's fair. You know, you watch him play and the, the talent is evident, right? Like, I mean, you know, he hits a letter high fastball from that Jacob home run against it's, Jacob DeGrom. Like that's, crazy. that's just all you have to know is like, how talented is this kid? Well, he hit a 102 mile an hour fastball off Jacob DeGrom into the upper deck and it right. was, at chest high like yeah. that you don't do that he, it's tantalizing like the upside is tantalizing but i feel like we're almost maybe at this cost paying more for the upside than you know a sure thing at this point we just yeah. really, we don't really well, know absolutely. what jazz chisholm is going to be absolutely and it's a very different situation from vladimir guerrero last year where uh i know chris and i were making the case that well maybe chris wasn't i definitely was making the case that um you're presuming the upside at the cost. Mm-hmm. You're doing that in this case with Jazz Chisholm, but you're also ignoring the downside, yeah. which is like a like a crater. You know, <laughs> he could. Um, I, I was surprised to see how Jazz Chisholm how immediately he he uh, contributed at the major league level because I've I've always presumed he'd be a guy who'd just get buried by strikeouts and. Mm-hmm more likely than not fade into irrelevance because of that. And so, yeah, I, have, um, I haven't written my bus column yet, but he'll be in mine as well. Uh, I don't like the value. But, you know, there, there, you, you do have to account for that uh, alternative scenario where he does put it all together, maybe does start making contact more. And if that happens, then, yeah, there's potentially a 30-30 season in there. And I think the NFC ADP is sort of sort of reflects the fact that like if you play in five leagues, you should probably have Jazz Chisholm in at least one of them. You know, like that that upside scenario. If you're chasing that, that's what that's how you should play it. And a lot of people who play in NFC leagues are are doing multiple drafts and and stuff like that. So, you know, when you're playing an overall uh, contest where you're trying to beat you know 1,500 people or or however much it ends up being. Um, you know, you need a guy like that who's just, if he hits, he's going to give you a huge upgrade over the type of players who are usually available there. Yeah, I think it's a similar logic to, for anyone out there who plays DFS, right? Like, if we're if you're looking for just that player to, to get different that has a ton of upside, yeah. that's jazzism. So, I, I think you're exactly right, Scott. And uh, Chris, he's being kind of perked up a little bit in terms of ADP because of formats like that, where you're kind of taking more swings for the fences. And speaking of those swings, Scotty, you still liking Brendan Rodgers as a breakout? I know he was someone we talked about quite a bit in the second half last season. Yeah, there's no way I'm backing down from him now. Obviously, the environment plays a huge role in that. Also, the pedigree. Also, the it makes a lot of contact. He really does. And, and in that environment especially, it's going to help. So, yeah, he's he's going to be a breakout pick for me this year. I would say from this tier, he's he's probably the one I'm going to have the most shares of in my fantasy leagues, which makes sense. I mean, he's 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 going the latest on average in this tier, right? So just I just that's the way the the tiers approach works. I do like Willie Adams a lot too. I think you, you know, you you, ha, you, ha, you have the upside case for Jazz Chisholm. You have the upside case for Bobby Witt. Maybe they could totally blow out expectations and next year we'll be talking about them as elite players in, in, in that tier. But leaving that aside, leaving their upside cases aside, Willie Adamas, I think, has the best chance of 
of moving up a tier here because he it was immediate. He had a near 900 OPS after joining Milwaukee last yeah, year. It, it was immediate. It was just like yeah. he got out of Tropicana and, and he had always hit well outside of Tropicana. And so he got, got out of Tropicana last season uh, and just immediately started crushing the ball. Had an OPS, I believe, over 800 every month except September. Willie Adamas in 99 games. 56 every month from May through, through August. In 99 games with the Brewers last season, he hit 285, 20 homers, four steals, an 886 OPS, and that is a 30 homer, six steal pace over the course of 150 games. The weirdest part is that he wasn't even good in Milwaukee, so <laughs> he only he hit 236 with an 802 OPS there. So think about how great that ballpark is. There's a chance yeah. that Willie Adams can be even better next season, Scott. And uh, I'm happy you jumped ahead to Willie Adams, but I hate to inform you, Scott. I, I didn't mention him in this tier at all. And uh, we're still on second base. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I'm happy you brought him up. That Just, just, just edit can, that into the shortstop part. It's fine. Yeah, just kind of confirms uh, that we're all kind of on board here with Willie Adamas. But yes, I, I do like Willie Adamas yeah. quite a bit. And so myself. mentioning Bobby Witt didn't make a lot of sense either. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We'll get to those guys a little bit later on, Scotty. Yeah. Uh, the last resorts at second base. Let's move a little bit quicker through these tiers so that we can get to shortstop as well. Eduardo Escobar and DJ LeMahieu, just two names in this tier. DJ LeMahieu had, I believe it was core surgery right after the season ended they didn't announce how long he was playing through that injury but definitely could uh be a reason for why he was bad as he was scotty what do you think in the chances of a bounce back for dj lemayhu are well look i'm i'm saying they're pretty low i have him ranked and i'm surprised how high the adp is early adp obviously so it could change a lot in the months ahead but Still, on average, the 116th player off the board. Uh, I, I think he's. I think I have him around 175. You know that that's not even me ranking him at what his 2021 numbers showed him to be. Right, he was even worse than that in 2021. So I'm giving him a little bit. I'm 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 showing a little bit of hope in him by ranking him as high as I do. But he seems to me one of the obvious cases of just getting crushed by the new ball because the guy who doesn't hit the ball very hard on average, uh, he relied on a lot of opposite field home runs those first couple years with the Yankees in spite of not hitting the ball hard. But, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what we were saying for Jonathan India just a minute ago where guys who don't hit the ball particularly hard can still end up with a decent home run total if they pull it in the air a lot. But DJ LeMahieu definitely doesn't and you know you look back at his history with the Rockies he wasn't much of a power hitter then either uh so I just I think he's I think he's very ordinary I think uh 260 270 batting average with 12 home runs might be all she you can realistically expect from him the actual batting average is underselling him that's that's what I would say is I think he can still be I, I think he's going to be a an average power hitter you know, maybe not at best, but like, yeah, when, when you, when the ball travels five feet, uh, you know, less and your average home run flies 380 feet or whatever it was like a lot of home runs are going to turn into, you know, kind of warning track shots. And so that really hurts him, but he was an 89th percentile on XBA. You know, he had a 282 XBA. I do think he can still be a very good source of runs, average and RBI in that lineup. The actual surgery that he had was a sports hernia right after the season ended. So keep that in mind. I'm with you, Chris. I I, I still don't love the price, but I think yeah. bat, uh, batting average, if you're looking at it at that point in the draft, it's it's kind of an underrated category that you know maybe we don't pay enough attention to it with our early picks. But yeah, definitely someone I think can contribute there and should be able to score a lot of runs, assuming these, this Yankees lineup can uh, get back on track. The Wouldn't every hernia that he has be a sports hernia? I I think so. Are there? Yeah, I don't. I don't really just, know much. I'm I was about to say dumb. something about like I don't know much about hernias. Or, so I'll just move on because I'm, I was probably going to say something stupid. <laughs> You've never heard the, heard the Weird Al Yankovic classic "Living with a Hernia." You don't know that much about hernias. He goes through you know goes through all of them for you, Frank. It's very educational. 
All right. Well, I'm going to have to check it out. I, I listened to some Weird Al growing up, but clearly not enough. And Scott, I know I know you're a big fan. So Amish Paradise <laughs> remains one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. It is. It is great indeed. Uh, the Deep Leaguers tier, that includes Ryan McMahon, Jonathan Scope, Gene Segura, Jeff McNeil, Enrique Hernandez, Colton Wong, Luis Arias, and Gavin Lux. I mentioned on our previous podcast, I really like uh, Luis Arias this upcoming season. I actually like both of the Milwaukee middle infielders here. Colton Wong, I think, is very solid. He was really good when he played last year. Projects 15 homers, 15 steals. Probably someone better as a middle infielder at this point if you play in a roto league. Uh, But yeah, I I do like Colton Wong quite a bit. And I I think some people are going to be excited to take a shot on Gavin Lux with Corey Seager signing away. It seems like he has the opportunity to play every single day, which... We've said at times in the past, but has it actually happened? I'm not so sure. Chris, what do you think about those two names, Colton Wong and Gavin Lux in this tier? The the concern with me, for me with Gavin Lux when he was this big hype prospect was really if you took out, what was it, 2019 season when he you know really broke out? If you took that out, he was pretty bad against lefties. And I think in 2019, he had like a 400 BABIP against lefties or something crazy in the minors. And so... It was just a big open question for me whether he would be able to hit lefties. So far, the answer in the majors is no. And that's always going to be a concern, especially when you play for the Dodgers, who are happy to just take a guy out of the lineup if they don't think he's going to help them. And so we saw that with Jock Peterson when he was a young player. um, And I worry we'll see that with Gavin Lux. And he hasn't been very good against righties either. You know, you're still betting a lot on talent. The leftover tier, that features... A lot of names. I'm not going to read off all these names because it probably gets confusing for those out there that are listening. But uh, if you're following along with the article, then you know who we're talking about. Uh, Scott, 20 names here in this tier. Do you have a favorite or two? Well, the prospects always stand out to me because those are, if you have the bench space for them, if it's a large enough league that it, you know, it makes sense to stash them away, then then they're the ones who could at some point have them biggest impact so nolan gorman is uh is the most obvious one i think he becomes the cardinal starting second baseman sooner than later and it's from the day he was drafted as a teenager he's been hyped as this huge power prospect rare power at the second base position originally was a third baseman but obviously with nolan arenado there they had to move him last year to second base uh the minor league numbers probably won't blow you away but they've moved him very quickly and it was one of those situations where like basically anytime he got hot at a level they moved him up so better better than the numbers would have you believe and also became a much better contact hitter in the upper levels after having a lot of strikeouts in the lower levels so i think he could be a pretty big deal chris a name or two here in the leftovers here that you are eyeing this upcoming season let's go in the exact opposite direction Robinson Cano, baby. I don't know if he's going to play every day, but with the exception of 2019, when he had a 736 OPS, Robinson Cano has basically just continued to hit. And, oh, he's on steroids. Well, fine. Fine. I hope he's continued working out and has kept those gains. And if he plays, you know, as a regular DH for the Mets, based on what we know about Robinson Cano, you're probably going to get a 280 average and you're probably going to get decent run and RBI production from him. Like that's just, that's all we've ever seen from him really. So I will take some late round flyers on Robinson Cano for sure. Especially in deep leagues. He is going so, so late. So I've done three drafts so far. I have him in two of those and we're talking about 50 round drafts where he's going honestly outside the top 400 picks, something crazy like that. Mm -hmm. So with a universal DH likely coming to the national league, I think Robinson Cano, probably plays quite a bit. And uh, I, th- I think the Mets are still going to make some moves this offseason, whether it's trading away Jeff McNeil, which they've already been rumored to do, or Dom Smith or any combination of those remaining players. Two names I'll point out here that I think are interesting if you play in deeper roto or category leagues. Josh Rojas, I think he could be eh, maybe like a 15-15 kind of player for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And Andres Jimenez, who had an ADP inside the top 170 last year, he's now going around pick 300. So... Not sure what the playing time is going to be with Cleveland yet, but another one where you know we've we've never that guy. We love that guy. He never deserved that that (laughs) price last year. That (laughs) was just that was wild. Scott, you're right. I I do like Andres Jimenez. He could break out. He's 
He's still 22, right? He's really young. He's yeah, he's um, young. Uh, we got to see what happens with the playing time, but I, I think we can get like a 15 homer, 20 seal season out of him. I, I don't think that's out of the range of, of possibilities. And we, we saw a little bit in the second half from him. So uh, again, yeah. super deep leagues as like your middle infielder or a bench bat. I, I think you could probably do worse than that. Before we hit the break, our friends over at Fantasy Football today are up for the best social media award. It'll take you 10 seconds or honestly less for you to vote for Fantasy Football today. Just hit the link that is in the YouTube or podcast description wherever you're listening or watching this. And if FFT wins, we'll give away some free Fantasy Baseball Today hoodies. F-R-E-E free all you got to do is vote and help out our good friends fantasy football today vote now and win a free fantasy baseball today hoodie the link is in the podcast and youtube description as i mentioned i'll point out that the podcast schedule for next week i know we've kind of been juggling things around but for next week we'll have a podcast in your feed tuesday wednesday and thursday mornings so keep that in mind and as always we want to thank all of our listeners if you're new Welcome. Uh, but also, make sure that you follow our five-minute podcast. That's Fantasy Baseball Today in Five. We choose a few of the biggest talking points from this full-length podcast, and we talk about those in just five minutes. So some people don't have time to listen to a full one-hour podcast, and if you're one of those people, then please check out Fantasy Baseball Today in Five. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, shortstop tiers here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. All right, so let's jump back into shortstop. And I'm not going to do word association. I, I think maybe we're past that. Let's just jump into the elite. <laughs> oh, I had such a good one. All right, Scott. Star-studded. Star-studded. Hyphenated. Hi- oh, because it's, it's like... SS also. Uh-huh. Look at oh, these guys. Clever. Chris, do you have a... I'll just let you guys go at this point. Chris, word association? Good. Good. <laughs> it is good. And let's start there. The elite tier, Fernando Tatis. He's quite good. And he also has outfield eligibility this upcoming season. The ADP, 1.3. So very likely going to be the first overall pick in your draft. If not, it will be Trey Turner, who we mentioned earlier, who's in this tier. And then Bo Bichette who has an ADP of 5.7. Scotty, are you one of those people that believes Fernando Tatis should be the first overall pick? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, for all the the fits and starts last year, um, he still ended up playing. He still ended up playing 130 games, and he had 42 home runs and stole 25 bases, and now he's going to have an offseason of rest. And this is an injury, the shoulder, that's been around his whole career, as I understand it, dating back to his days in the minors. So I think people are being a little too pessimistic, all things considered. He managed it pretty well last year, and um, I think he will again. All righty, yeah, Fernando Tatis. Just how good was he? Scott mentioned he played 130 games. He finished as the fifth overall player in Roto despite missing 32 games from the regular season. 42 homers, 25 steals. That's a 48 homer, 28 steal pace over the course of 150 games. He averaged four fantasy points per game. That was tied for most among hitters with Vladimir Guerrero. The guy is just absolutely ridiculous and deserves to be the first overall pick. I'm not going to say that there's no risk involved, but... I think the upside, I mean, we're talking about someone that could legitimately go 50-30. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility for Fernando Tatis. The other name in this tier we haven't talked about yet is Bo Bichette. And I have Bo inside my top six players in Roto overall, top six. And, uh, you know, he was 29 homers, 25 steals last year, Chris. And Bo Bichette's a unique player because... He's really good for fantasy despite having a low OPS, 828 OPS, ranked 44th among qualified hitters. So he doesn't walk very much, hits too many ground balls, but he hits homers, steals, plays in one of the best lineups in baseball. Uh, do you believe that he should be a top six pick in Roto? Is he a first rounder still in a points league? He's a first rounder for sure in either format, I think. Um, it's just the volume that he got in that lineup last year. Maybe they won't turn around. The lineup as much without Marcus Simeon, but I don't know that that lineup still figures to be incredible. And, and if he's going to get, you know, 680 plate appearances, it the rest kind of doesn't matter. He's going to hit for a good average. He's going to hit pow- for power. He's going to steal bases. 
I don't know. He, he's probably a little better in fantasy than he, he is in real life, but he's really, really, really good in real life as well. So it, at, at some point, like I wasn't high on him last season. I was clearly wrong. And I'm just like, he, he's better than the sum of his parts. And he actually does hit the ball really well. You know, you, you look at like the expected stats and it's not like huge expected power, but he didn't overperform last season. And He's got a 10% barrel rate last season and a 48% hard hit rate. His max exit velo was higher than it had ever been. His average exit velo was higher than it had ever been. So I think, yeah, he's clearly one of the best fantasy players in baseball. I um I actually do have Bo Bichette as a second rounder in points league because there are enough pitchers that push him out of the first round, basically. But I, I also have I'm I'm also behind the consensus in, in Roto. I have him as more of a late first rounder in that format because my rationale is if you set the over under at thirty for both home runs and stolen bases, I'm taking the under. And particularly the for the home runs, that bothers me. Like I don't I really don't want to underdo it in the power categories in the early rounds because it's we're get we're getting to where those aren't as available throughout the draft as they were in the past. And yet, you know, there are going to be teams in your league that just have a ton of home runs. Like that's if, if you, if you do any, any pick that sets you off course in home runs could kind of bury you in the category. I feel like he's so weird. He has a third, he was in the third percentile in chase rate last season and 61st percentile in strikeout rate. Like he's, he's such a weird player, but yeah, I think, I think that's fair. I also think there's room for a power breakout. You know, if he starts hitting the ball in the air more, especially, I think that could, you know, the, the improvements we saw in batted ball quality last season do make me think that there is room for him to, you know, be more of a 35 homer guy at his, at his ceiling. Yeah, you read my mind completely. That's where I would caution, Scott, the, the, the power, I guess, pessimism for Bo Bichette is that he had a 49% ground ball rate and... The previous, all we have is 75 games before that, that he played in the majors, his, his ground ball rate was 42.6%. So if he lowers yeah. that ground ball rate again, then I think we could be talking about, you know, mid-30s in terms of home runs and obviously all the steals and the counting stats in that lineup. So uh, yeah, yeah, maybe, that, but like, to me, it's not worth passing up Mike Trout or it is worth passing up Freddie Freeman for, but that's a close call, I feel like. All right, yeah, I mean, it, look, if you don't want to put as much of an emphasis on steals, because you don't really need to in a standalone league if you finish in the middle of the pack in steals, but, you know, you're really good in terms of the power production and, and batting average and all those other stats, then, you know, you'll be perfectly fine. So you don't have to overemphasize steals, but if you're someone that maybe wants to build for more balance in a deeper league or, or whatever type of f- format, then uh, I think Bel probably gets a little bit more elevated in a league like that. The near elite tier, we are looking at uh, a bunch of names here as well. Marcus Semien. Xander Bogarts, Corey Seager, Trevor Story, uh, Wander Franco, Carlos Correa, and Javier Baez, who is a tier lower in points leagues. And Chris, we'll start with you. Why are we getting the Rangers discount on Corey Seager, but not Marcus Semien? This seems odd to me. Seager's going at pick 70. Semien is going at pick 27.3. Is it? Is it really 10 steals, 10 to 12 steals that we're going to get out of Marcus Semien that is causing a 45-pick difference in ADP? Well, I mean, if Marcus Simeon does what he did last season, then it's, you know, it's going to be a, a pretty big difference, and that makes sense. And so I think there's a little bit of recency bias there. I think Corey Seager's got that injury-prone tag that that can lower him in people's minds. Um, Simeon's a weird player, man. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, he's had these two incredible seasons sandwiched between them. He was pretty bad. He is... He hit two home runs to the opposite field last season uh, and like one home run to center. So that leaves about 42 between left field and left center. And really, you're talking more like 35 just to left field. It's all around the foul foul pole. And, you know, is that sustainable for a 31-year-old who doesn't hit the ball super hard? All these, like he's another one of those guys, like we were talking about with Jonathan India, obviously a much better player, Marcus Simeon. Um, where it's just like, is there room for a small slip up in his underlying skills? You know, I don't know. He's, I, I feel like he's maximizing what he has. 
and he can continue to do that. He's a super skilled player, but you know, there there's very little margin for error in his uh in his skill set and approach, I think. Yeah, little sneak peek. I have Marcus Semien in my Bus 1.0 article that's coming out later mm-hmm. on this week, and he hit 45 home runs last year. If you look at Statcast, they tell you how many home runs he would have hit if he had all the same batted balls from last season. If he were in Texas, how many would it be? And, and it was 32. So obviously, he's not going to play all of his games at home in Globe Life Field, but so no. far, the data we have is it's not a great hitter's park. It, it was 22nd in home run park factors last season. And on top yep. of that, he's leaving the AL East, so not getting Camden anymore. He's not getting Fenway, Yankee Stadium, where he absolutely crushed in Yankee Stadium last year. I think he had an OPS over 1,200 or something in however many games it was, you know, 15, 16. Uh, but yeah, he obviously leaves that, and he has to go to all these bigger AL West ballparks. So he's done it before in the AL West, but I, I just really cannot get behind the price tag with Marcus Simeon here. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, I agree. I think um, the change in venue and the change in supporting cast are going to be a much bigger deal to him than they're going to be to Seager, whose bat ball profile should play anywhere. Um, but, yeah, I mean, getting this back to the tiers, this is this is another kind of like the near elite tier at second base was large and spanned several rounds of the draft. The same is true here. I mean, the fact Simeon and Seeger are in the same tier, and you mentioned, Frank, they're going 45 picks apart on average. And I imagine Corey Corre- Carlos Correa is going even later than that, right? Yeah, the ADP is uh, 88. He's the lowest one in this tier. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, if he goes to a place like Detroit, you know, maybe maybe it gets a little questionable whether he belongs in this tier, but, you know, he put up numbers not that different from, like, a Xander Bogart, so I think everybody would agree is in this tier last year. And, of course, Carlos Correa in the past has been, we've considered him a first-round cal- first caliber player in fantasy. He's still in his 20s. You know, there's, there's a lot to like there for Carlos Correa, and I think very little downside. So, um, you know, another tier where... I'm almost certain not to draft Marcus Simeon, both because of the risks you've mentioned, Frank, I've mentioned, and the fact that at both second base and shortstop, he's one of the highest players drafted in what I see as a very deep tier. Carlos Correa, by the way, obviously still a free agent. Not really sure where he's going to wind up at this point. And there was news earlier, we're recording this on Tuesday night, but uh, Carlos Correa has hired Scott Boris to be his new agent. So looking to make a splash potentially when the lockout is over. But where is that going to be? I know the Cubs have been linked to Carlos Correa, which is kind of a weird landing spot if something like that were to happen. I guess he could still go back to Houston. There's the Yankees, but it sounds like they don't want to spend money. The Dodgers maybe to replace Corey Seager. Uh, so we will see what happens with Carlos Correa and where he winds up. I did want to quickly mention... Yeah, I feel like we got to talk about Juan Franco just because you know one of the top prospects in the game, and he wasn't he was he was very good last year. I think he was much better in points leagues. There's no doubt about it. His plate discipline for a player his age is just outstanding. That's really the only way to describe it. But Chris, what do you think about maybe comparing Xander Bogarts, who he's been the steady veteran. He faded big time in the second half last year uh, versus someone like Juan Franco, who's going three picks behind him. So realistically, you, you have to decide Xander Bogarts versus Juan Franco. I mean, what I would say about Xander Bogarts is like, I don't care that he faded down the stretch. We're talking about a guy who's hit 288 between 288 and 309, four straight years. He hit 295 last season. Like he's a stud and he's going to put up good counting stats and he's, he's just going to be great. Uh, I have no concerns about him as a 29 year old. Juan Franco, I do I wonder if he's getting credit for stolen base potential that probably isn't there because he's been a pretty bad steals uh, efficiency guy over the course of his career. And the Rays are not a team that's particularly interested in running into outs. So that's something that I would keep in mind on him. He it's, it's so hard to say what to do with a 20 year old because or he'll be 21, I guess next season because he's not a finished product. So it's like, well, his batted ball stats were just fine. You know, he wasn't great. He wasn't terrible. They were fine. They certainly weren't worth this kind of cost. But he's 21, and he's incredibly skilled. And he, like, he's got that preternatural 
uh, strike zone awareness and, and play discipline that just, why would you bet against him? So it's really, this is one, Wander Franco is one where it's just, you're betting on the talent in the same way you were doing it with Vladimir Guerrero last year. Um, but that being said, I would rather have Xander Bogarts. Give me, like, I don't know if Wander Franco has that much more upside than Xander Bogarts. You know what I mean? Like, Xander Bogarts is amazing. Like, he's had a three, 33 homer, 309 average, 100, 227 run season. That Like, maybe Wander Franco can be better than that. I don't think it's worth paying to find out. Yeah, I think projecting Wander Franco is probably one of the hardest things to do this upcoming season because you look at the steamer projection, which is a median projection, and it has him at a 288 batting average, 19 homers, good runs, good RBI, up over 80 for both, and then 10 steals. Is he going to get to 10 steals? I don't know. Is he more like a 5-7 to seven steal kind of guy? With that being said, I think there's a chance, you know, his 90th percentile outcome looks something like Juan Soto's second season where he just goes absolutely ballistic. I think that's within the range of outcomes for him. So, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, you have to pay a pretty big price when it comes to Juan Franco to find out what he's going to do. For what it's worth, he is 29 and 22 on stolen base attempts as a professional. That's what I was referring to. All right. The very low success rate. The next best things tier, we don't have a lot of time here. We're kind of up against it, but we'll quickly talk about him. Jorge Polanco, Francisco Lindor, and Tim Anderson. Scott, the disrespect for Francisco Lindor and Tim Anderson. I mean, come on, my man. What are we doing, Scotty? Well, I just don't think I expect them to put up numbers on par with the players ahead of them, most of whom have 30 homer potential. I don't think Lindor and Anderson do. Uh, Lindor obviously has done that in the past, but as I've made the case many times on this podcast in recent weeks, I, I, I don't think... I don't think he's equipped to do that with the new baseball. He doesn't have that kind of ability to impact the ball that he could put that many over the fence with that many regularity, that much regularity anymore, I don't think. It would severely cost him in batting average if he did, which would also hurt his value. And Anderson, you know, kind of like I said for... um, for Bichette, if we were setting the over-under for 30 in both the home run and stolen base category, I would take the under. If we're setting it for 20 in both the home run and stolen base category for Tim Anderson, I'd probably take the under. So I, I just feel like he's he's going to help in batting average for sure, but I, 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 feel like, I feel like people give him more credit in those other categories than he deserves. Yeah, he just needs to stay healthy. I think that's the biggest yeah. thing. He's missed 89 games over the past three seasons. That's 23% of you know, the overall games available. So if he can ever stay, like I think the White Sox this year can be the Toronto Blue Jays of last year. Like if everything clicks and like Luis Robert breaks out and Eloy Jimenez could stay healthy and Tim Anderson could stay healthy, I think the White Sox could just go absolutely ballistic. So what does that look like for Tim Anderson? Over 300 batting average, 20 homers, 20 steals, really, really strong run scored and, you know, 70 RBI, something like that. He can have a, just like a truly breakout season. It's just a matter of can he stay healthy. So I feel like that's the biggest thing for him. Tim, uh, Lindor, I didn't, I didn't really foresee becoming the Lindor guy, but I, I kind of feel like <laughs> it's just kind of trending that way. I wish he was going a little bit later, but I, I think the price tag is fine. The ADP is 57.3. Uh, Chris, anything you'd like to add on this tier? Uh, I'm a Tim Anderson believer. I think the biggest thing keeping him from putting up the counting stats is just the the fact that he hasn't played more than 125 games in the last three seasons. But as uncon- as unconventional as his approach to batting average dominance is, it seems completely sustainable. And um, I think he's an easy 2020 guy if he stays healthy. And I think the upside's probably closer to 30-25. So I, I'm happy wow. to take him. Uh, I would group him. With that previous tier, like the upside, you know, the 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 uh, Marcus Simeon 2021 season, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I love Tim Anderson. Happy to get him as a starting shortstop. Yeah, he finished as the 47th overall player in Roto last season in just 123 games played. Yep. So if he can get that number to 140 or even true, 150, then yeah. I think true five category guy. Yeah. I don't know how that's possible because he was... Well, well below average in both home runs and RBI. His 162-game pace over the past three seasons is 25 homers, 22 steals. Yeah, but that's not how Roto 
ranking works. Yeah, but look at Scott. He scored oh, 94 no, runs, yeah. 94 runs in 123 games. I mean, that's yeah. that's like 110. Yeah, but again, that's not how Roto pace. ranking works. They don't pace it out over 162 games. No, I understand, but that's still a really good number. Just well, the fact that he hit 309 with 94 runs scored, I mean, that is a huge contribution for the Roto here's, formula. Here's something that's worth keeping in mind about both Tim Anderson and Bo Bichette. In Roto, the fact that they don't walk is actually a big help because they're so good at batting average. That's a good point. That your denominator is much higher. You know, he he had 527 at-bats in 123 games. So mm-hmm. the 309 batting average helped you a lot. That's a that's a lot of bat, at-bats. And so that's the kind of thing where, like, Juan Soto might hit for the same average as Tim Anderson. But when it comes to just what Tim Anderson gives you in batting average, it's going to be much more valuable if they play the same number of games. Did you say the 45th hitter or the 45th player? 47th overall Roto player is what I have written down here. Well, it's, okay. it's written down. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, if I wrote it down, it's got to be true. No, I mean, there's definitely things I've messed up in the past. Uh, let's see, I'm pulling it up real quick. The But that, that is a, that is a, a big yeah. deal that, that, 40, get, yeah. that can be overlooked. 47th overall, yep. That, that's where he finished on in terms of Roto ranking last season. The fallback options, that includes Jake Cronenworth, Jazz Chisholm, who is a tier lower in points leagues, Willie Adamas, Dansby Swanson, Bobby Witt, Chris Taylor, and Brendan Rogers. Chris, we haven't got your thoughts on Bobby Witt all offseason. Uh, the ADP right now is uh, decently high. I believe it's inside the top 100 picks, which actually, I was looking into this, it's not really dissimilar from where other top prospects have been in years past. So 109 is the ADP for Bobby Witt. You look at in 2020, Luis Roberts' ADP was 81.7. Yep. Vlad in 2019 was 51.1. Ronald Acuna back in 2018, 100.5. So this is about the range that you could expect the top prospect in baseball to go. What do you think about this price tag for Bobby Witt? I don't really get it. That guy hasn't played in a while. Bobby <laughs> Witt? Yeah. Oh, is that his, his, his dad? The dad. It's a little joke. <laughs> it's a little dad joke about a dad. Um... <laughs> I mean, he's clearly just an outrageously talented player, and nobody seems to disagree about that. We've seen one professional season of him, so how much can you put into that? Well, it was a 30-30 season, or 33-29, who's counting? I think there could be growing pains, you know, with the strikeout rate. He's so young. We haven't seen, he hasn't seen a lot of professional pitching, but based on what we've seen right now, I mean, the upside is clear. It's just a question of, can he force the, the issue and make the, the Royals start thinking about calling him up in spring training? You know, we, we thought that he was doing that last spring. And so if he has another spring where he's the best player on the planet, you know, he might end up getting called up on, April, on you know, God, I was going to say April 1st, but, you know, May 1st maybe. But even if that's still early in the season, um, he's got huge potential. I, I'm not going to draft him in every league, but, you know, like uh, Jazz Chisholm, he's someone that I'm going to have to get in at least one. The last resorts tier, that includes two names, Brandon Crawford and Nicky Lopez, who is a tier lower in points. Nicky Lopez will give you 20-plus steals. Don't know that he's going to give you anything else, legitimately. Batting average should be okay, Um, but really just a two-category contributor there. And Brandon Crawford's got, I mean, I don't know. Good luck. He had 298, 24 homers, 79 runs, 90 RBI, 11 steals, and 895 OPS. Career highs across the board. His previous career high uh his previous high in ops was 792 so this really came out of nowhere i'm not sure how much we can um we know he's not going to do again but like how close is he going to come to doing what he did last year yeah the thing is like nobody buys what he did last year so he's in a 12 team context barely going to get drafted so i might have a fair amount of brandon crawford just because of that just because uh, you know, there, it, there, there's no cost to it. So, you know, if there's something I'm missing, then, you know. Who cares? Right. Like exactly. no, no harm, no foul. Right. Yeah, uh, no, definitely someone that in later rounds as a corner infielder, you should just take a flyer on. Yeah. Brandon Crawford, the ADP 200.3. So, yeah, he's, he's an afterthought, and you can get him very late in your drafts. The deep leaguers, Eugenio Suarez, Luis Arias, Glaber Torres, O'Neill Cruz, Gavin Lux, and Ahmed Rosario. I'll quickly point out with Glaber Torres that he has not been good since the start of 2020. There's no doubt about that. He played 169 games during that span, 
255 batting average, 12 homers, 15 steals. He's had COVID, I think, two times, maybe three times. So maybe that's something that has affected him to this point. But towards the end of the season, they moved him back to second base and played 19 games there. 300 batting average, two homers, four doubles, and 815 OPS. So it's a super small sample size, but if you are a Glaber Torres optimist, then maybe that's something that you can convince yourself on uh, this upcoming season. <laughs> his ex-WOBA has not budged in his career. 337, 337, 332, 330. <laughs> like, and that basically matches with WOBA dropping league-wide. So he's probably, if you just put ex-WOBA plus or whatever, he'd probably be like identical across his four seasons, which is... Very funny. I'll point out, definitely, Glaber is definitely not a fan of Camden Yards uh, expanding left field because he's someone that has just feasted there over the past couple of seasons. The leftovers, there are 12 players in this tier. Kyle Farmer, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Jonathan Villar, David Fletcher, Gio Urshela, Paul DeYoung, Jose Barrero, J.P. Crawford, Josh Rojas, Jordan Groshans, Bryson Stott, and my boy, Andres Jimenez. Scott, anyone you'd like to highlight quickly here? Not really. No, I, I just, from the previous tier, I want to point out that O'Neill Cruz has potentially a forty homer, twenty steal outcome. I think, but he's very tall and <laughs> could strike out a lot against major league pitching. So we'll see. Yeah, he's six foot seven. He plays shortstop. It's going to be pretty interesting to to watch him play. Uh, but yeah, a, a very interesting prospect and and one that the steamer projections like quite a bit. We're going to wrap there. For Scott Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow to preview the outfield tiers. Bye-bye!